Welcome to Electric Theory. I'm Joshua Hunt, your host. Get ready as we're about to jump into the thrilling world of investments, innovations, and insights. Ready? Let's dive in. Today's spotlight is on Third Bridge. This isn't just another investment company. Third Bridge is a game changer. They believe that the human insight fuels smart investment decisions and act as your personal conduit to the world's most relevant experts. With a team of over 900 professionals in eight global offices, they are the architects of the new era in investment intelligence. Here's what they bring to the table. For PE, navigating opportunities and risk, ThirdBridge is your investment GPS. Simple as that. Public equity, want to generate alpha? ThirdBridge has the know-how. Connections, hmm. ThirdBridge is your VIP pass to the investment world. Unique insights, refreshing and ready just for you. And now let's give a big drum roll for Ryan Kelly, VP of Operations at Third Bridge, the Dallas office. Seven years of dedication and the glue that holds the office together. Get ready for an episode as invigorating as your morning coffee. With 24 hours a day, organize your day, work hard. I'm here to talk about success. Perfect. Yeah, la- I, uh, last time I, I was performing with a microphone, I was a narrator in my high school play. Oh, wow. That's about the last time that I did something like this. Mud. Much, much, much different. Bro, much different and much needed, though. See, like, that's the you know reason that we're doing this is because I think voices like yours need to be amplified, okay. especially in this climate. Yeah. So with that being said, let's get this show on the road. Cool, man. Welcome to electric theory where we sit down and we interview unique individuals like yourself ones with diverse backgrounds and also diverse in thought we call that cognitive diversity right mm-hmm. um and we met just to give the audience some context and paint color yes we met at a shared co-working space where you also work and i was just enamored by the third bridge culture mm-hmm. and the on boarding process that I was just witnessing right before my eyes. Yeah. And I'm like, who's behind all of this? And I remember going to one of your employees and Lance, I believe I was Lance. like, who's running the show here? Like, how is he making this culture so connected at the same time? It seems like they're having fun, but also working hard. Your team is usually like one of the last people to leave within the space i've noticed that so it was just like how is he making this fun engaging and efficient at the same time so i just had to to find out and and meet you and we met actually go grab coffee i got to hear your background hear your passion for people and culture and it was like dude i just started a podcast and i would love to interview you like the very conversations that we were having i was like i wish we had a microphone right now in front of your face but here we are but here we are. Here yeah. we are, a month later, a month and a half later, and we're actually doing it. Yeah. So shout out to you for coming down here on a Saturday at that to, to have this conversation with you. No, I, I appreciate it, man. I, hopefully I can say something compelling or two for your audience, but, but I appreciate you having me on and I'm appreciating, honestly, hearing a little bit about you too, because the focus of that conversation in the coffee shop was uh, selfishly about me. You know, I, I might ask you a couple of questions as we go through this, but no, excited to be here. 
Let's do it. Yeah. Let's do it. Yes. I think we started in the coffee shop about your background mm-hmm. and like how you get into the space. Mm-hmm. But let's go through that. But, you know, give the audience a little context into the role that I just discussed mm-hmm. and then tell us how you got there. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I, I, not hearing the intro, I, apologies if I'm repeating anything that was already said. But for me, working at uh, Third Bridge, I've been there for six and a half years, um, have been VP of operations for the last year or so. And they tasked me to come down to Dallas and, and open up this new office, which is a part of a really big longer term expansion plan for our company, just, just having better coverage across different regions. So it's our third U.S.-based office. We have one in New York, one in L.A., and now as of seven months, just last week, we've been in Dallas. So that's the story so far. A little bit about me and, and just my passion for what I'm doing. I've always been uh, pretty driven by the people around me succeeding. And, and the people that I hire, people that I train and develop, getting them to a place where they can really take advantage of the growth opportunities at Third Bridge has been something that has been just a passion of mine. And I think when the opportunity to come to Dallas came up, having really just full autonomy of, of the, the hiring process and the training and development process, I just had the opportunity to just pave the way for, for doing that tenfold. Not saying that I couldn't do that, obviously, in New York. There's something good about just a, a reset and building process that I've been able to just take advantage of. And I know everything that you said, just hyping me up ahead of time. The reality of the situation is I've had a ton of help to get here. Third Bridges has been incredibly supportive of me and the people around me to, to getting to this place. So I'm really at the mercy of so many people to, to getting Dallas office set up, running in obviously a place where people, outsiders like yourself, can have one conversation with someone and feel really good about what we're doing, which mm. makes me feel good, obviously. And obviously you had that one conversation initially with Lance, but now we're building and now maintaining that as the next frontier. But hopefully that gives you a little bit of a, an idea. Of yeah. Where were you we're before at. New York? Before New York, before Third Bridge, New York? Yeah. Before Third Bridge, New York. So I so went to Monmouth University undergrad, graduated in 2015, moved to London, went to the London School of Economics for a master's in comparative politics. And I had met someone at a one at an LSE career event and it was the last person that I spoke with and he was like hey I work for a company called Thurbridge how's the night going did you talk to anybody interesting we got to talking about Thurbridge I had no previous exposure honestly whatsoever to any classes in finance financial services I knew probably a two-sentence definition of what that world looked like so I was naturally a a little bit intimidated and saying I don't really know Talking to you or having a conversation with you about Third Bridge really makes sense for me, but I'll talk to anybody. So got to go and sent to my resume, learned a little bit more about the company. And I thought, wow, okay, so there's people from my background who have gone on to do this type of work. And there's people from all walks of life who have gone to work at Third Bridge in that associate position. So let me go through with an interview. And so I interviewed, did well, got the job, moved back to New York, and then started up. So technically was doing a master's prior to Third Bridge. Nice. So you said... Comparative, comparative politics. politics. Yeah. Tell us about that. Why are they that interest you? Mm. And then give us a little, just paint some color around what that mm-hmm. study was like. Sure. Yeah. So even again, back to the Monmouth University, which shout out to Monmouth University. Yeah. Um, studied political science there, focused in international relations. I ran track actually at Monmouth for the first two years, and at the midway point of my collegiate career, I thought. I just need something that's going to be a little bit more transferable to life after Mammoth. Had a just a great mentor, Ken Mitchell, who really kept my head on straight for thinking about really digging deep into things that 
the university offered and the political science department had to offer. So I've gotten involved in things like debate, policy debate, which that's a whole separate thing. Maybe we do a podcast on policy debate because that's one thing that really loved about about that experience. And then also did uh, Model UN, where they sent me to, to Rome for free to go to a Model UN conference. So got involved in a couple different club-based activities. And when I was reaching the end of my collegiate career, I, I was pretty, uh, I, I was at a place where I was like, a master's could make sense. So I applied to Boston College, American University, and then London School of Economics, and the LSE being my reach school. And so I got in and I was like, okay, the comparative politics program transparently was probably the easiest of all the programs to get into. <laughs> 20% acceptance rate versus like a, an IR program that has 1% acceptance rate. So I applied, got it. And I was like, okay, great. So I have to go do this. So now I have to really think about what I want out of this master's program, right? right. Because so many people can go and take the classes and then leave, but you really got to connect with professors. You really got to connect with the people in your class because the big selling point of doing that kind of program is the classmates that come from literally all all over the world, right? right. I, good friends from Israel, from, you know, from Pakistan, from China, like you name it. I've I met someone from that geography. Mm -hmm. So in that program, I guess to, to answer your question, comparative politics, I was particularly interested in democracy and democratization around the world okay. and specifically transitions to democracy. So I was particularly interested in Military coups, successes and failures, and what that meant for transitions to or from oh, to, to democracy. And so I had written a dissertation, well, gone through the, the entire program, but wrote a dissertation on comparative military coups in Latin America. Now, what does that mean for me transitioning to Third Bridge? <laughs> yeah. Absolutely nothing. Honestly, but... it does, though, because the, I, I would, so the reason I would say that it does is because not only are you studying something that I believe business is which is essentially mm. war but you're doing it with people from all around the world yeah which is why i found you very interesting because you had such a unique perspective on different things but mm -hmm. also relatable in so many different areas right usually when someone grows up in this micro area mm -hmm. they typically have a one train thought mm -hmm. right and not really that much of a, a growth mindset so they're usually like no this is the way and usually when we're talking and have communication it's always like open right yeah. like you're just like hey i'm just open to receiving like hey i, I may not be the smartest guy in the room even though you mm -hmm. usually are no I'm but not. you just say that no i'm not see it's, it's because of that cognitive diversity yeah. where you understand different perspectives and different people to, to your point i like in doing so and I've, I've done that and i've got the the the, the pleasure and the chance um to an honor to meet so many different individuals mm -hmm. like yourself which also helps me realize that, listen, the, the smarter you get, the more you realize you're really not that smart, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah. <laughs> that's like a little nugget of wisdom, but I, I will say that there's definitely some alignment there. I think so, yeah. And I think, look, the big part that I'd really take away from is, you know, it, moving to London just by myself, like my family flew me over, moved me in, and then they left and I was on my own. Which is great. So I had to very quickly adapt. And I think adaptability and, and things in that realm are always transferable. So I just naturally, that experience made me very comfortable in just diving headfirst into things, which I guess is a very good segue into the Dallas experience, right? Yeah. Which, which is as extreme as leaving the country. But I look for these opportunities, right? I don't yeah. shy away from them. And when they do open up, it's so far, it's only been two big opportunities in my life, moving to London and moving to Dallas that I couldn't pass up right 
And so very much lucky to be in these situations, but it's a lot of credit to the people around me, for sure. Yeah. 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 Before we move on, mm-hmm. you sure. said agility, which is, by the way, one of Bolt's DNAs. I love agility. Yeah. And then you also said you were comfortable with going head first. That's being comfortable with being uncomfortable. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, this Boom. is something that we talked about. Yes. Yeah. I love it. I love it. And before we go to the next mm-hmm. question, give me one second. Double check, make sure. Still good to everything good. Perfect. Perfect. Gotta put my phone on loud just in case. What I realize about this, once we're doing it Bluetooth, I can't mm. put it on flight mode. Oh, so, so yeah. Just in case a call comes and I can't hear it. I was thinking about that. Okay. Then it could turn off the camera and then we'll have no idea oh, or no. We gotta do it all over again. And do it all. Exactly. Okay, that's all right. I can do it all <laughs> over again anyway. It's easy. Fun. It's easy. <laughs> All right. So we're talking about cognitive diversity and your experience at Third Bridge. Yeah. Uh, how does cognitive diversity contribute to the overall success and innovation within the company? Yeah, this is a great question. I think in the context of the Dallas situation that we have ourselves in over the last seven months or so, really trying to capture this and prioritize this at the point of hiring. So for us, we blind resumes. And I think- By any, blind, can you define that really quick? Yeah. So I don't take a look at name, background, schools, anything. Mm. I literally sign on to an interview, really not knowing who I'm about to interview outside of the notes that I've previously uh, seen from our person in talent acquisition. So do you, right. oh, do you see their ethnicity? I see, I see nothing. Yeah, I, I, I see absolutely nothing. I'm um, literally doing a study on this. We'll talk about it in a little bit. Which I love. I love. I, when it pops up on my calendar, I see the name, obviously. But schools, uh, no one. And I think there was even an opportunity we were thinking about hiring. Are we open to uh, talking to people or interviewing people without uh, a college degree? And I said, absolutely. I come from a family. I'm, I'm the first one to get a college degree in my immediate family, right? Yeah. And I come from a family that works extremely hard. Like my father was 35 years in the yeah. post office. My mother, 42 years as, as a secretary at a law firm. My brother, blue collar guy um, working in HVAC. So for me, I know these personalities and I can obviously... I'm not turned off whatsoever by their background. We want people who are going to come in and hustle. And I think one of the things that I'm really trying to capture for in that early part of the interview process is your engagement. Can you be bought into the things that we're trying to do with this office, both in the short term, getting Mm -hmm. yourself trained and develop and engage, but even over the next three to five years where so much of the priorities of our business are going to be running through Dallas, which is super exciting. It's a great opportunity for people. But for me, the most important thing, and I don't care who you are, is can you come in, can, can you be coachable, can you be engaged, and can you just be ready to flat out work hard, right? So those are the most important things to make. And so for us, we're trying to capture that at the first part of the interview process right. via, not, via, blinding, via blinding the, uh, the, the resumes. I think furthermore, for the people that do get hired, we, in our training process, we have a whole session on ESG, Environmental Social, Social Governance. Which is one of the key priorities for us as a business. This is headlined on our website. If you ever go on Thurbridge's website, this is a huge priority for us. And we train people about what Thurbridge is doing as a company and what each person as an individual is trying to contribute on a daily basis to really promoting a lot of the things that are important within the ESG realm. I would say it's it's twofold to answer your question at, at the, the point of the uh, the point of the interview process, and then just further training and support and, and events and groups that really are contributing and pushing this forward for us. Yes. Yeah. Before I get into the onboarding process. Mm -hmm. You mentioned ESG, Mm -hmm. right? And it's no surprise because of what you guys do and and who you all advise Mm -hmm. in the the financial world. Sure. That has been a a focal point, Mm -hmm. right? 
what I've realized is that the environmental piece is, is, is picking up a lot of traction Absolutely. and momentum. Yeah. But the social piece is not as much of a priority. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? I think it's fair. And I think Thurbridge is, is trying to walk and chew, chew gum at the same time on this, right? We're not prioritizing one over the other by any means. On the environmental piece, when I was touring our permanent office, it was actually interesting to hear about all the different things that I just was not even on my radar whatsoever about the environmental impact of just what we're trying to do in that office from construction to actually getting people situated in there. But on the second point, look, we, we're very lucky at Thurbridge to have really great individuals who are leading on this. And I think the great thing about this company is that we will allow people that kind of freedom to sprint with whatever they want to, with whatever they want to do. So if they want, and especially this is true in this office, if it's a, a women focused lunch to talk about just inclusion in the workforce, there is no one stopping anybody from setting that up, especially in the Dallas office, but in any of our offices. I would say same for, for, for other ethnicity groups that they want to just participate in that conversation. They want to hold these types of events. Me at the leadership level and my peers at the leadership level will let those things and we'll let those things obviously happen in the middle of the day. But for us, being able to participate in that is, is also really important. So I am trying to mandate as much of these events as possible for us, which is difficult to do in the middle of a work day. But <laughs> look, we're not prioritizing one or the other, over the other, I would say. Yeah. 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 I think that's, I think that's great. Like I said, I just think there was one point where, you know, the market was walking and chewing gum, but I can see since through my experience as we've slipped into this interesting climate that we're in mm -hmm. with the bank runs and so on and so forth, right? That environmental is rising a little bit more than social. And I think that, like you said, it should be more of a balance and it should be walking and chewing gum. That's a great reference. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about your onboarding process. You gave a few nuances as you was uh, describing cognitive diversity and like what you guys are looking for in the interview process. Mm -hmm. But tell us a little bit about what the onboarding process looks like. Once you're like, hey, these are great candidates. Mm -hmm. Great. Now let's do this. Yeah. Yeah. So a couple rounds of interview after that, that initial phone screen, initial conversation from me. And we're actually uh, now moving to a place where we're moving back to in-person interviews, which is awesome. So you're actually going to see a lot of unfamiliar faces strolling through the, the, uh, the office nice. moving forward. But the onboarding process for us, when folks sign up to, to join Third Bridge when they're offered a job, it's a pretty intensive training process, right? So it's, it goes from pretty broad to just covering historical things about Third Bridge, where we are in the market, just introducing the concept of primary research and human insights and just expert networks generally, because nobody goes to school to work at a company like Third Bridge or any of our competitors for that matter. Sure, you can study finance, but that doesn't really position you to come in and, and be able to service the, the clients that we're servicing on a, on a daily basis. There's a really intentional, training process that covers some third bridge specific things. And then it gets a little bit more narrow into the role itself, which for us uh, in the connections business, we're facilitating one-on-one -on -one consultations between expert and client that is sending through a, a request. So it's really incumbent on us to make sure that after that, that two-week training stretch, people are as equipped as possible to pick up the phone and start reaching out to experts to get them interested in consulting via third bridge. And what I'll say is that training doesn't necessarily end after that two weeks. I think training is just a very much an ongoing thing because no two days are the same and no two situations are the same. So we really try to get people very comfortable in being nimble and just adaptable to the different scenarios that they might find themselves in, whatever it might be, depending on the project that they're on. 
So we're really trying to set people up to be sprinting as soon as they get through that training. Otherwise onboarding, I mean, for me, part of the training process is, is really conveying the stakes of our Dallas office, right? So, you know, covering the things that necess- aren't necessarily in the job description, which I lean on people. And I've really made this clear to the folks that we've hired that I anticipate them being at the table for our culture building, right? And I think even though, again, we're seven months in, um, I'm really empowering our people to come to me with ideas, with feedback, both positive and constructive. And I want them to tell me when things aren't necessarily working or they don't feel like they're working or we could do things a little bit better. I'm always all ears. And that's true of everything from picking out punch for the week to how we are communicating with the experts, which is is basically our product and everything in between. So I I want everybody in that office to have a seat at the table, especially at this critical moment. We're really trying to set the tone of what our office is. So that happens certainly in the onboarding process. But that's just an ongoing, continuous conversation type thing that uh, is really important for us. Yeah. Yeah. So what I picked up on and identified was that you guys were hiring quite a few people. Yeah. But you did it in cohorts. Yes. Why? Yeah. Please tell us why. Because I mean, I know why. But for the audience, because like I was, I was like, I know why this person is doing this. I know why this organization is doing this. And I think it's completely brilliant. But please tell us why. Yeah, so I, I can tell you for at least that initial September class, we, we had a hiring number for sure. But even moving on for different cohorts, it's very important that you have and you're going through the training process with others so that you can lean on each other for advice, for feedback, right? We want people to be going through the same experience at the same time. One, because everybody's bringing something different to the table and to have people you know, associated with that cohort, they'll always return to wanting to, you know, connect with those people a little bit further beyond just the training. So we want people to be going through the training process, working through projects at the same time, because yeah, you lean on your cohort for help beyond just leaning on leadership, beyond just leaning on your manager, right? I think there's always just a sense of kind of home when you have a, when you have a cohort. And for me, actually, when I started back in October of 2016, it was me and, and one other guy. So I actually didn't have that. So for me, I, it obviously didn't impact my growth. I think I've done okay, but I could definitely see the benefit of, you know, the previous classes, like the, the class right before me when I started was like 20 people. And that was a group of 20 people that really did everything together, both in the office and even socially. Like those guys would go out and they would, you know, go grab a drink after work. And I didn't really have that like sense of, of, family, so to speak, as it as it's associated with the cohort. So yeah, we would just want people flat out going through the same training process at the same time. So they have that, that home base. Yeah. No, I, I, like I said, I thought that was just very fascinating. And are you aware, because like you mentioned, like having that camaraderie mm-hmm. helps, right? You're aware it's like north of 80% of a retention rate if a person has a friend that is at that organization, right? So you're more than likely to stay there if you have a friend there. Right. Having this cohort come in together, they were more likely to bond, right? Mm-hmm. And then form these friendships and then ultimately stay. Yeah. It, it was no, I, so I didn't know that figure, but obviously it's great to hear because the yeah. last couple of cohorts have been big. And a big part of my job, I think about my responsibility every single day is meant to be retaining talent, right? right. Retaining, developing, and attracting talent. That's the name of the game for me. Hey, if we're doing that, like, then great. Yeah, that, that's good to hear. And I'm glad that you just said that because that actually leads us to our next 
question mm-hmm. segue perfectly into what are the strategies you use to retain talent? Yeah. Yeah. For at least the Dallas perspective, the big thing for us is we're really communicating that we need leaders now more than ever. Yep. And the way that I'm talking to and coaching some of our month six, month seven associates is I'm really treating them like they've been there for a year or two. Mm-hmm. And I'm constantly challenging them for growth. And hopefully we've done the hiring bit right because we have people that are bought into that idea. And for me, I'm constantly talking to everybody on the floor about the next thing, right? Whether it's a promotion, whether it's the next thing for their personal development, I'm trying my absolute best every day to keep eyes forward, right? Yeah. And if people are constantly looking forward for their own personal growth or for the company's growth, it'll, it'll keep them around, right? If, right. If, because people, at least for the folks that we're hiring and, and looking to, to attract, it's folks that need to be challenged. And I think so long as the appetite for being challenged is there, Thurbridge is never going to be short of the challenges that we're facing both in the competitive market and even just internally for getting better and growing. I'm just constantly reminding people of that and reminding people of the stakes of that, that for everybody in the room right now, whether they were hired in February or in September, they're all a part of something way bigger right now. And it's a little bit tough to grasp now, but I'm constantly thinking and talking a year or two removed, especially when we go into that the permanent office that's nearby. That's really going to allow the grasp on it. I think what's also true is for me, I, I challenge the, the, the folks that actually manage the team. So there's you know, two, two guys that currently do that. Constantly have a beat on career-related questions, right? Mm-hmm. Because the reality is people aren't going to be at Thurbridge forever, right? right? So what kind of skills should we be thinking about training our people on that have them excited for staying at Thurbridge for, for, for as long as possible, but even making that transferable to life beyond Thurbridge. Mm-hmm. I'm not naive that people aren't going to not be looking elsewhere when the time is right. So I just want to be upfront with folks on that. Hey, what can we do now that's going to prepare you for what's next? And honestly, even asking, what do you think is next? What, one of the questions right. in our interview is, where do you see yourself in a couple of years, right? And right. So long as Thurbridge, it, for what we offer, is aligned with that, Right. I'm very interested in having people come here, learn something, contribute, be a part of our culture, contribute something good to our culture. And then look, sometimes people move on and, and, and that's okay. Yeah. So Do you use that data that like, because I, I just had a thought, like whenever you're collecting that data up, up front on a, a potential candidate on where do you want to, like, where do you see yourself in the next five years or what does your career path look like? Mm-hmm. Do you ever go back to refer, do you ever refer back to that data to then create uh, career development around that? Yes. And I also recognize that my answer on retention was <laughs> at the end of that was it's okay if, if folks leave, but hopefully that's not the, that's the clear cut takeaway <laughs> yeah. because retention rates, at least for how long people are here, that's right. of course what we're trying to always improve on. Yeah. So just, I guess for your audience, I don't want people to take away like, oh, he just won. It's cool. No, like, but, no. <laughs> but to answer your question on as to whether or not we capture data or store that data. So I, of course, we're taking notes in interviews. And mm-hmm. right now, it's a small enough group where on an individual basis, I have a very good idea of where a lot of people want to be longer term, but that's obviously not sustainable. I think for us, we have just personal development plans on a monthly basis and a quarterly basis for some of our more tenured people where we're constantly returning to some of these topics. So not quite data, but a lot of the conversations that we have on a more formal basis we have access to that at, at really any time. Right. But I think it's not just, it can't, be, it can't be a conversation that you have just once a month. It, it right. should be a continuous conversation, right? right? And I think for me, 
I, I can be zoom, as zoomed in on the day to remind people of why a certain action is better, is, is good for in the short term and long term what they want to be doing, right? Whether it's a good conversation with an expert on the phone. I'm always trying to tie everything that we're doing to the bigger picture, right? Yeah. Which that, those types of things aren't logged or, or captured anywhere, but I'm intentional and, and aware of it enough that it's brushed off on people, hopefully, that it's a continuous conversation rather than just logged in a database somewhere. You mentioned it's a day-to-day and it, and it is not as formal. So I was actually, and it just made me think about, I was having a conversation with a, a partner at Ernest & Young yesterday, mm-hmm. and we were talking about remote work. And he mentioned it's challenging to build a culture around people that, you know, heavy on work, working remote and then heavy on being in the office and trying to find that balance. And it was just like a lot of development actually happens like organically in person, right? Like where it's not actually put on the calendar, right? And it's just learned through observing someone else or learned through a quick action or quick conversation. little nuance interactions that actually promotes growth. So what is your thoughts on remote work? Yeah. Working from home versus working in a office space? Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully I don't get in trouble with your audience on this. But <laughs> look, I one of the most important things and honestly non-negotiables for me in launching this office yeah. was I, I wanted us to be in five days a week. And this is something that I was very forthcoming with all the candidates that we interviewed. Yeah. Because of everything that you just mentioned, and, and even just the, the job itself is it, it's so it, it's performance based, right? It's target based. Our environment is a fast paced environment, and to do that siloed off people working remote, very difficult to do, right? Because when we get a client request in, we are hustling, right? And speed is the name of the game, right? And so much of that, from performance to team building to everything, is so much easier in person. This isn't a compelling thing whatsoever that I'm telling you, but yeah, once folks got a taste of work from home, like I I totally understand the flexibility that gives, but I think just for the nature of our work and of course, just like, again, building an office and a culture, everything about that is so much easier and the quality is so much better when you're in person. And for me, as I think about, because I can't be too stubborn on this because life happens for folks and I understand just what the market is offering from just a work from home point of view. So for us, we tie a little bit of uh, hybridness to to performance, right? So we'll flex one of the days, you know, generally a Friday, where if you had achieved your target and exceeded your target for the month before, that unlocks for you, that unlocks you the ability to work from home every Friday for the following month. Oh, nice. And I think, look, yeah, that, so that, exactly. It's a very good lever for us to pull that taps into performance. And it has people, honestly, hustling because they want to be able to work from home on Fridays, right? (laughs) But the very interesting thing is that there's still folks who are eligible. Some of our highest performers in that office, they still come in on Friday. They still come in on Friday. And and for myself and for the people that are actually managing the team, we're in as well every Friday. So we make it optional. Do I encourage and nudge people like, hey, you of course can come in on Friday. Yes. But yeah, no, it's just a really good lever for us to pull. So I think you nailed it. And I think whoever the partner at EY was, was talking about, that you were talking about, nailed it as well. Yeah. In person, is just, it's just the way to go. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think so too. And it's a hot take because I'm usually like, 
on, on the fence with this just because I have to be because I work with companies that do have majority of the workforce remote. So I'm just like, hey, yeah, we can work it out. We'll figure it out. Mm-hmm. But what I also have came to realize your shirt, you have the USA yes. football mm-hmm. team on there. It makes me think about camaraderie and teamwork, right? Like you can't really work in silos if you're an actual team. Yeah. This isn't golf. This isn't, what's another, tennis, where you're just playing one-on-one. Like this, this is, this is like basketball. This is like American football. Mm-hmm. These are sports where you have to rely on your team members and associates, if you will, mm-hmm. to be able to communicate effectively. In order to communicate effectively, somewhat need a psychological safe space. So let's talk about that. How important is psychological safety mm-hmm. in the workplace? Yeah, extremely important. And, and one thing that I'll add too is everything that about just being able to just execute well on our clients' work and just, again, building team uh, camaraderie and whatnot. One of the things that is so important to the culture of our office in Dallas is that we celebrate everything. Yeah. Like I, you'll probably hear us in the yeah. WeWork, you probably heard us Clapping, doing whatever, whether it's a, a everything small from a successful call with, with an expert that could be a good fit to consult on a project to a really big client win where we got significant market share and then probably a million things in between. We, we celebrate everything, right? And right. we want people to feel really good, which is, again, yeah, a, a good segue into psychological safety. I, I really want people to, one, enjoy coming into work and, and two, be willing to tap in and be their true selves in the office, right? And Hey, some people like to be celebrated and some people don't. And it's really my job to have a good beat on who enjoys what and how they like to be recognized. But, but yeah, psychological safety is incredibly important. And Wait, that's your job? I just had to pause there. That's your job to recognize that? I, I wear a couple hats, but, but yeah, I think any good manager is going to have a good beat on how people like to get recognized and celebrated. Because the, the reality is some people don't enjoy, like me, standing over them clapping saying yeah. you know, screaming and hyping them up but other people just maybe they like a like an email yeah or, or just like a slack message saying hey great job yeah. some people like to be recognized in silence which is fine they're shy people sometimes i can be shy but and any kind of hype up opportunity we certainly do but but yeah that yeah that i don't know if that answered no yeah that, that, that answered it that answered it uh, uh perfectly so communication is obviously at the top of mind and, mm-hmm. and important how do you communicate uh, effectively to allow people to express themselves. Yeah, yeah. I think this happens in it's happening. This happens one on one, right? I I, mm-hmm. I make myself as available as possible. I have weekly office hours where people can come to me and communicate any kind of issues that they're facing, anything they, that they want to chat about, personal life, whatever it might be. So this happens a little bit one on one, but having specific spaces to communicate things that are going on in, in, in the office or, or outside of the office. I have no problem in people breaking off into different conversations to, to talk about these, whether, whether it's in the actual office itself or even stepping out. So I think I just making it crystal clear and making it clear to the two guys that are actually managing the team that, yeah, we should always be creating the, the, this space. Happens one-on-one, happens at the team level, and really just Having people have that shared responsibility of tapping into that is also very important because we can only do so much as managers. It's really on the folks underneath us that actually carry that through, right? Yeah. Happens in a couple of different formats, I'd say. Do you feel like expression leads to purpose? Expression leads to purpose. Yeah, I would say so. I would say, look again, I, every single 
person is going to bring something different to the table, right? Whether they have work experience, no work experience, they studied X, they studied Y, the way that they can express themselves and be themselves is naturally going to contribute well to this office building exercise that we're doing, but even just longer term for the company growth. Absolutely. Yeah. I think everybody being able to tap into the purpose, if they're really locked in and engaged on growing this office over the next five years, great. But if they're motivated by something else and just bettering themselves, that's also okay. But what do you think? Tell me what you think. I have, I just, I, I said at the start of this, I would ask you questions and then I haven't asked you once. Funny that you asked that back to me because I 100% agree that it, 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 it is, it's linked directly linked to expression because you think about your own experience in your own career those things led you here because you had an opportunity to express yourself you had an opportunity to continue to learn and grow which is a form of expression right and when you are on the flip side of that let's say we take those opportunities away from you and you wasn't able to learn grow express yourself through things that you like, like politics, right? Mm -hmm. And you were forced to be a certain way that you weren't allowed to actually be who you are. It would prevent, I think, your growth and you on the career path that you are on now. So I think expression is definitely correlated to to, to finding one's purpose or, or one's calling or opportunities, if you will, however you look at it or however you identify that mm -hmm. word purpose. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think understanding the why for people is very important and just ultimately, mm. yeah, the, their purpose is extremely important as, as a manager, which I'm sure is important for you as for the folks that work with you. Yes, 100%. That's actually one of the metrics that we measure within an organization is do employees, team members, associates feel like they can express themselves? Yeah. And then they get a score based on if they are able to express themselves or, or not. So that's a easily identified in the organization. For example, i.e., if you will, there's, we work within the private equity space, but also within the hospitality niche. So if hospitality, there's a department, F&B, food and beverage. If majority of their, their staff in this particular location is not feeling like they can't express themselves. And the majority of them happen to be Hispanic, right? Hispanic Heritage Month is coming up. Yeah. Let's do an event. Let's have a potluck. Let's allow them to bring meals that that's important to them and their culture. That's a form of expression. Right. And then you will see that number climb up over time, right? And you'll see you'll see dramatic changes. Oh, now they're able to express themselves, and that is directly related to, to having a sense of purpose, mm -hmm. which then is directly related to retention. Yeah. So it's like you have those parallels and connections, and if you're able to just continue to keep bridging that gap or bridge, mm -hmm. bridging that gap, yeah, uh, it would allow you to just I, I think keep being more efficient and and, and more profitable. Uh, more sustainable and all the things. Yeah. So I, th I think it definitely starts there. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this, there's big sweeping uh, initiatives to this, but even smaller things like what you just mentioned for Black History Month, we, because obviously we cater at lunch, which I think you've passed through a couple of times every week for our employees. Black History Month, we, we order from Black owned businesses for every week that we were doing it. International Women's Day, we ordered for that week from women owned businesses. So I mm -hmm. think there's also, there's smaller kind of micro things that we're trying to do. And this really is coming from the employees that we hired, right? They're bringing these ideas to us that they want to do this and giving them that, again, that space to, to do that, I think is also where some of this is captured. So yeah, I think you're yeah. spot on. Yeah. So I got some stats I just pulled up. Tell me. On, on culture. And I want to give some stats and start giving more data 
driven stats okay. um, on these podcasts. So one of them is employees who feel like their company culture is a strong culture are 34% more likely to stay with their current employer for the next three to five years. Oh, so that's, you were worried. You were like, I don't know how long you got three or five years there. Yeah. Okay. So 92% of employees believe that a positive work culture is important to them. And that is sources from Deloitte. So I can go on a limb and say it's probably a hundred percent of employees <laughs> that believe a positive workplace culture is important to them. And here's uh, the last one. Companies with the highly engaged employees outperform those by 202%. And the source is Gallup. Mm-hmm. 202%. That means you're light years ahead of an organization that doesn't have highly engaged employees. So what are some ways that you keep your, your employees engaged? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a really good point. And I think this answer won't be too far of a departure from just a little while ago and just having people looking forward. We really having, really one ensuring just each person is in the right seat, of course, right? They're, they're, you're really having a good gauge of whether or not folks are actually enjoying the, the work that they're doing. I think that's very important for me to be aware of. Because look, as we expand, there's going to be other departments, there's going to be other just things that are going on at bridge outside of just the connections team. And what's very important to me is understanding if they're really enjoying it. And if not this, then where else in the organization can you perhaps, one, feel just better motivated to be coming in and actually enjoying the work? So I think everything about making sure that the right people are in the right seats is, is, is critical for any manager. But I think for the folks that are on the connections team, look like they have to be bought into the bigger, longer term vision of what this office is going to be. And knowing that they're a pioneer, so to speak, that has people feeling really good. I think, again, why that feels really good in practice is because of the questions that we were asking early on in the vetting and, and, and interview process. And again, like I was very happy to go off of the job description to convey what I was expecting of candidates. So hopefully this is captured sooner rather than six months in where you're where you have a bunch of people who really didn't understand what they were getting into or just really weren't bought into kind of the growth story here so keeping people engaged i think is just it's one the most important thing from interviewing to just executing on the work that we have every day so i would say yeah having a having a good pulse on keeping people looking forward is probably the biggest thing and i think reminding people also of just the the great opportunities for growth to have on the, on the personal side of things, because so many of the skills that Thurbridge has to offer, everything from internal stakeholder management to managing a book of business from clients to good just communication and kind of being able to work with experts across a variety of fields, right? Because for us, we're reaching out to a variety of awesome experts on, on a daily basis. Um, Really making sure that's packaged in a way that people know that they're growing every single day, every single time that they're exposed to one of these things, right? Yeah. A big part of of my job is making sure that people, this remains on the forefront for that. So I would say too long didn't read on that is packaging skills that they're getting that are transferable to growth within Thurbridge and beyond Thurbridge. But again, just capturing and reminding people, hey, we're here to build a really awesome office and you are someone that has a seat at the table to be able to do that. Yeah. I love that. I love that. That was a very, that was good. I, I hope listeners go back, tune in to exactly why, because you said a lot of very important, critical things that really galvanizes the team, right? Mm-hmm. 
Like when you think about team, and I'm going to always go back to team, especially because I'm reading this great book mm-hmm. about teamwork and the greatest teams, is that they have a goal in mind, right? Yeah. Like you don't just go out there, like you're going to play a lot different if you're going to pick up basketball versus if you know that you have a chance to win a championship, right? Like it's just a different vibe. It's a different energy about that. And it helps everyone stay focused on a common goal, yeah. which is what you want when you're working on a team. It's yeah. like if everyone has a shared vision, a shared goal, like we can execute a lot quicker, right? Mm-hmm. Versus you being disengaged, you having your own goal over here, you have your own silo over here, you have this uh, ERG over here and they're working on this, right? Let's say, hey, no, we're all focused over here. This is our North Star. That's where we're headed. Yeah. Right? And I think that's very important and it does keep people engaged. So, and it takes great leaders to do that. So what are, as a leader at Third Bridge, like what have you learned about effective leadership in, in, in the research industry? And then what key principles guide your approach to leading your team? Yeah, fantastic question. So someone internally once told me that your job as a senior leader is to make yourself obsolete, which sounds, sounds a little crazy, but let me just I- explain that. So For me, I am constantly speaking to the team and really trying to have them think as independently as possible, which is a lot to ask for pretty junior employees who are at different walks of life. There's folks who are just out of college, there's folks with work experience. So it's a really good mixed bag, but I talk to them, everybody the same, no matter what. And I think any time someone is coming to me with a question, with a problem, and that, that happens, every other minute, which that's, that's just the reality of the role. My challenge to people is to come to me with their problem with already a potential solution in mind. Mm. So I never want to hear, hey, I, I just had this expert who told me this, who, you know, who told me they couldn't consult with our client. What do I do about this? I would rather someone say, hey, I have this expert that wasn't yeah. able to consult with our client. But I think I want to go out and find someone else. Or I, I, I want the segue from problem to solution to be really sound. Right. And I have no problem in telling someone like, hey, what do you think? Yeah. I'll say that to someone who, you know, one of the people that manages the team who's been here for three and a half years. My challenge to him always is tell me what you think the answer should be or what the solution should be. I'll sell it to him. I'll tell it to a week two associate that we just hired. And so long as everybody keeps this in mind, eventually, hey, if I, if I don't show up to work on Monday, which I'll be at work on Monday, right? <laughs> yeah. This office has to carry on. And being in Dallas, I also think about, you ever been to the JFK? Uh, yeah. The sixth yeah. floor? Yeah. You see him? There's yeah. a really great quote in there yeah. where the mark of a great leader is what happens, you know, when they leave, right? In this case, obviously, JFK died. What happened to the country carrying on, right? I think about that. I think about if I just don't show up, this office has to carry on. And the true mark of a good leader is going to be a room full of independent thinkers, independent problem solvers who can carry on no matter what the situation is. So I would say that's probably one or two of the most important principles for me is to really make myself as obsolete as possible. Man, yeah, that's good. And you just brought up JFK. Yeah. They made me pull up this quote. One of my favorite they don't they haven't been able to fully say that this story actually happened but Mm -hmm. there's credit sources from mark zuckerberg to others that have quoted this story Mm -hmm. by jfk so in 1962 president john f kennedy visited nasa for the first time during his tour he encountered a janitor carrying a broom down the hallway 
So he's at NASA visiting for the first time, sees the janitor carrying a broom down the hallway, and he asks the janitor, so what do you do for NASA? To which the janitor confidently replied, Mr. President, I'm helping put a man on the moon. Mm -hmm. I know, isn't that powerful? Because like when you think about what we just said, shared vision, shared goals, right? No matter what your role is, no matter what position you're playing, if you understand that there's a goal in mind, that's what you're thinking about. And I just got goosebumps thinking about that. I get so excited when people have a shared vision and a shared goal because I know that you can accomplish that goal more successfully. Yeah. And I share that infinity with you with infinity with you with wanting to see other people succeed so much so that like it it kind of weighs on me when I see people not succeeding because they don't have a shared goal. And like they're just paddling their wheels in a way that isn't effective for the team. They're going a different direction. To that point, what are your thoughts on that, on I, that quote? Uh, I think, so that quote is great. And it just made me think because our, our CEO just visited this past week. Okay. And, and, and this has been true for the last six and a half years that I've been at Third Bridge. Whenever he's visiting, whenever, even where he's situated in London, he sits with the team. He doesn't have an office. Nobody at Third Bridge has an office. Which, even when we move to that permanent space, I'm going to be situated right in the middle of the team. Because for me, I think availability is the best ability and accessibility generally as a leader. I want to be in between a year two client associate and a month two associate that we just hired. And I want to be amongst the team. And so that NASA quote reminded me a little bit of that, where even small things like where you're situated geographically amongst the team, you never want to be somewhere else, like in an office where you don't really have a good pulse of what's going on around you. And people are just naturally going to be more comfortable in like tapping on the shoulder and asking you a question, which that's everything about my job is to be the ultimate support system. So yeah, I hope that quote is real. Yeah. When I I first read it, I've done some research to try to find out how real it is, but most people preface it the way I just prefaced it mm-hmm. when they're sharing it is, hey, we don't know if this is 100% real, sure. but this is the quote, right? Yeah. I'm going to repackage that on Monday for a third bridge specific one. So yeah, you should. You should. I'll send it to you. Sure. It is phenomenal. I like built a, a case study recently and that was like the opening quote yeah. uh, in the case study because it's obviously it's about culture. So I was going to ask a question. I just forgot. Sorry, I cut you off. No, you're fine. You're fine. I, I wanted to ask about just what you've seen in the like the, the the current climate now versus what we've seen before because you mentioned it's obviously strategically done to just be out there and available and i've seen you with your associates mm-hmm. it, it, it does seem like you're just gelled in there right yeah. like when you were mentioning the uh skill sets and uh, to the ways to be an effective leader you didn't say hey i gotta have this hierarchy i need to have a my own office i need people to respect me I need to earn their respect. Like you didn't say any of those things, right? It was just more so about empowering them, right? right. And like, I think that's like the, the traits of, of, of the great leaders, right? And as I'm reading this book about the greatest teams, it, the, one of the first couple of chapters is about captains, which are the leaders. And they're the ones who galvanize and empower power people. What do you think is going to take for it to be a shift in that kind of power dynamic in order for leaders to be more effective. Mm. So I, th- th- that also, just what you just mentioned, got me thinking about, you ever see that TED talk of that, of that submarine captain? I'm going to send it to you. Please, yeah. please. So I'm, gonna, I'm actually just going to 
one of the comments I, I want to reflect on before I answer the question. I want people to walk into the office and almost not know who the leader is. If, if you mis if you mistake me for an associate, just looking if you're passing through that that front little window, kind of I love that. So I just I also want to understand your question. So the power shift. Sorry, repeat your question. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I got I prefaced it with we've seen different power dynamics. Yeah. Over the last. 20 years. There's just old corporate. Let's just call it old okay. corporate. We have new corporate. That's how I just bucket it right now. So old corporate was more of a power dynamic. You have this hierarchy. You rarely see the CEO. They're out funding. They're, they're doing what they do at, at that executive level. It's the executives are out of reach, really hard to connect with, yeah. really hard to, they weren't really as available. And I've seen over the last couple of years, there are executives who are making themselves more available. Sure. So for the ones that aren't available now, I guess what I'm saying, like what shift needs to happen mm. in order for that to happen? Yeah. Look, I can't imagine employee surveys are very favorable to, to, to those types of uh, leaders. Mm. I think it's just going to be a, a wave of people who really prioritize relationship building with their employees, right? Mm. That, that old corporate term that you mentioned, I think naturally some of these folks are just, they're not going to be able to retain and develop talent as, as effectively as they can. And I think it's going to take success stories like what we're doing in our Dallas office to really be publicized and blown up for folks to really be thinking about what, yeah, what differently do I need to do as a leader? Yeah. And I think there can't be stubbornness. Like for me, I want to be told that I'm doing something wrong and also just Thurbridge is a culture of feedback mm -hmm. and I really lean into that. And I just, I love nothing more than when someone comes to me and tells me something that I need to be doing better or I need to improve on. And I don't know if I can necessarily say that folks in old corporate really feel that way, right? Right. Uh, but every leader is going to be different. So I don't, you know, I don't want to assume, but yeah. I think, look, it's just, it's people really taking and prioritizing their, their employees first who are going to be able to rise to these senior level positions in variety in a variety of companies for that to really shift. But otherwise, I think there needs to be continued, some of the stats that you mentioned earlier about uh, retention and engagement, it's going to take really honest answers and honest data crunching from employees. Uh -huh. And you need leaders who are really going to like take that seriously. And for me, like I can definitively say that I do, whether it's survey data, whether it's a one-on-one -on -one conversation, I'm constantly learning. I, I know that I don't have all the answers to things. And my challenge to, to, to leaders at big companies, at, at startups, to, to, to you as the CEO of, of your company, is to very much take that seriously. I'm not entirely sure what, I can't necessarily say it's going to be one thing that's going to shift this power dynamic. People who are ascending leaders now, I, I, I would say to take everything that I just said really seriously and understand that's a big part of leadership. Yeah. You know? Yeah. If I had to, to even sum up what you said and, and package it into one thing, I would just say that it's about being uncomfortable and just being comfortable with being uncomfortable because yeah. ultimately taking feedback for most people isn't comfortable, right? Yeah. Like it's, we're, we're human at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. And psychology tells us that we're the star of, of the universe, right? We're the stars of our own movie, right? We're on our stage and I have I'm the director, I'm the star, I'm the main character, right? So when I feel that way and you're telling me that my acting is bad, it's no, I've yeah. been working, you can't tell me that my acting is bad, right? That's how we're going to naturally feel. And I think the best leaders are able to humbly take that 
and make changes and be agile. Yeah. And, and I think that's one of the things I love about you is your humble confidence, but also the ability to receive information and then, like you said, make those adjustments. But at the same time, you're empowering them to also make their own adjustments. Right. So it's like you're not doing anything different than they're doing and they're not doing anything different than you're doing. Mm -hmm. And that's how you guys are able to, 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 to operate and, and move so efficiently. Yeah. And one of the key competencies that we are hiring for that we evaluate our uh, existing talent on is, um, you know, is that element of, of coachability. And I think just the comfort in, in, in receiving that constructive criticism, but like actioning it, we're very keen on hearing about instances in the hiring process for when they've actioned constructive feedback. Right. And then most importantly, like one of the follow-up questions that I always ask when this, when this question comes up is, what was your initial reaction to that? Did you agree with it? Did you disagree with it? And look, like for, for candidates that say, no, I, I disagree with it. I didn't see it. Those are people that I don't know if this is a good place for you because you have to be ready to listen first. And it doesn't matter if you agree with that feedback or not, right? Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter if you agree with what's being said. Like right. you have to listen to it first. And then, hey, you can decide internally if you're going to do something, anything about it. Like, it's like at, at that point, it's your responsibility because it's founded on something, right? Something you did made this employee bring to you the situation and it's on you to, to action and, and do something, right? That's the responsibility lies. So, so to your point about what you're saying is that my employees think the same way that I do. That's very intentional because of how we evaluate the people that we're bringing in. We mm -hmm. need people who are moving in lockstep and are contributing to that and are ready to push that forward. And that needs to happen between me and employee. That needs to happen peer to peer. A challenge right. to people is that happens peer to peer as well. Like I don't necessarily need to be in the conversation or in the room for people to be having a similar conversation that I would be having. If that makes sense. Yes, yeah. yes, that makes that makes complete sense. So that puts you in a category, a small category at that of leaders who actually think the same as their culture thinks and feels, mm -hmm. right? Because I think it's north of 70% of leaders feel that their company culture is better than it actually is. It feels like their employees are doing better than they actually are. Interesting. It is interesting. And it's one of the reasons, nothing against LinkedIn, I understand it's about connecting it, but it's one of the reasons why I'm not, actively on LinkedIn mm. is because it's filled with a lot of leaders and a lot of leaders demonstrate and proactively, whether they're the influencers, whether I was walking my dog one morning and I happened to see a letter on the floor, I picked it up and I had my next call, you know what I mean? Or the ones who were just like, hey, we're, our first quarter just ended and we're up X, Y, and Z and our team is loving it. And they'll just have this snapshot of the team. And meanwhile, the company culture and the employees and the associates and the team members are not having that grand of a time that the mm -hmm. leader is demonstrating on LinkedIn, right? right? So then it's inauthentic, mm -hmm. right? And that's one of the reasons why I'm looking at a way and trying to figure out a way of how to, how I can cast my voice and thread my ideas on there in, in that platform and into the world that would allow some authentic stories like yours to be shared. Cause I, I just feel like there's a lack of that in, in those spaces, but. Yeah. But that's also, uh, I'm very happy to know that's why you haven't accepted my LinkedIn request yet. So oh, that's, yeah, that's not for me. That's, yeah. that's good to hear. <laughs> no, yeah, it's, it looks sometimes it's, sometimes those things, what you just mentioned are pretty performative. Yeah. And look, your employees are going to see right through that stuff. Right. Right. Exactly. Like, yeah. If you just 
put one picture up on on LinkedIn or wherever for that matter. It doesn't matter where you post it with the whole explanation of just how you're feeling. You turn around and you survey results from your employees that doesn't replicate that. Like right. it's like the exactly. responsibility leader to, to do something. Like that. It can't be performative. It has to be just action-based. So for us, look, I'm not posting anything on LinkedIn outside of just great third bridge content. A lot of that stuff is just done in action. It's just done in the office. Hey, if you ever want to pass through and actually see Shadow a, a, a day in the life, Oh, I'm definitely uh, doing but, yeah, I'm, but, Like you said that means, you guys yeah. didn't even televised while we're on here. Yeah. I want to go on record saying, I believe and I would hope and I am going to take action on doing a case on Third Bridge because mm -hmm. I just find it very fascinating that you guys are within the same alignment in the space and direction that we're headed as an organization mm -hmm. within that financial private equity space. And you just being such a, a servant that's, that aligns with our hospitality space. Mm -hmm. So it's just, it's so much alignment that I do think that there's a lot of insight to be uncovered. And you've mentioned you do the one-on-ones, you have the quantitative data, qualitative data. There's a lot of data that's just really put into structure mm -hmm. that can demonstrate, hey, this is what the new modern age company culture should look like. Yeah. And this is why. Probably this is why a company culture should look like this. And this is what. We got to start with why, sure. because I think that it's, it's important to acknowledge that you're not just doing it to be doing it, but there's a why behind it. So yeah. before we end, what is your why? What is my why? Yeah, great question. And this is something, look, it, my employees ask me this in one-on-one -on -one settings. Mm, I, I, I think I'm just, yeah, I'm very, and I'm very comfortable in, in answering this question and having this conversation because likewise, it, I need to figure out what their why is so right. that I can have them be the best person that they can be. But I think for me, I'm just, I'm super bought into the third bridge has been, has been great to me, right? The, the opportunities for growth that have been just put on my plate have been awesome. And I think I'm really motivated right now to be paying that forward, especially in a setting where this is a brand new office that we're launching. For me, I really want to see someone follow my exact story. And I think I'm surrounded by people in that office right now who have every opportunity in a brand new office where the ambitions for this longer term are pretty significant. And in just six and a half years, you can be where I am as a VP of, of, of operations, which great a, title's cool, but like it, the leadership opportunities and the experience that I'm having right now, just like selfishly for a second are, are great for my career. Like I, I'm, that's not lost on me, but I'm very motivated at creating the next story or stories for following what I did from research associate, that entry level, all the way up to opening up a new office. And I've had that conversation with a couple of people who are wondering, oh, what other offices are, you, are we going to open after Dallas? I was like, let's get Dallas, Dallas first, yeah. first, right? But it's really great to be hearing that people are thinking about that. Yeah. And for me, my why is to create that next story. Mm -hmm. People, I'm, I'm really motivated by that. Plus, even just beyond that, just being in a client-facing environment, I'm super, super motivated to having Thurbridge be a premier expert network and primary research firm that's really uh, walking beside our clients, not behind our clients, right? I'm very motivated by just getting the best possible expert in front of our client at any given time, right? Those, I remember how those felt as a researcher. I remember getting good feedback from clients when I was on the front lines with them working on, on, project, on project requests. So even just at the client level, yeah. just, there's just a natural need to just want to do really well.
Even beyond that, I think naturally I'm super, super competitive. So Mm. in instances where perhaps we lose out to our competitors, that really makes me fired up for the next project that we're going to get to really do even better than we did previously. I don't like losing to our competitors, right? That's definitely not something that I ever want to be doing. It's always a good reminder that, hey, we're in a very competitive market right now and our peers in the market are doing a really good job. You have to stay on your toes and you have to innovate and you have to do well on 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 what's on your plate. So very motivated by that. So I guess that's three whys. Yes. But the first why I think is the leading thing for me and then everything else is gone. And the first one is create stories for people. Would you say that's the first one? I want someone to replicate my story. Replicate your story. Is is to go from research associate to opening up an office and making them aware of the different opportunities and growth moments for them to be able to do that. Mm, Beautiful. Give me one sec. Let's test this real quick. We are. This episode has been so fun, bro. Hey, thanks so for excited. having me, man. Yeah, no. Hopefully, I'm, this is compelling. I, no, this, this is, is this is know, this is compelling. Like, I'm I'm just thinking of all the, and I hope that you get some the 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 recognition you deserve and attention from this. And I'll definitely make sure I, I'm tagging some people within your space because this is the company that you need to work with. You need to be working with. I'm talking to an audience now, and if you're looking for researchers in that particular space, and I'll, I'll plug what Thurbridge does at the beginning of this podcast mm-hmm. to find a company, an organization where leadership operates like this. And this is one of the reasons why ESG was even probably created, right? It's sure. because there is, you have these investors, private equity space come together and it's like, Hey, we're putting money into these assets where environment isn't being really considered social aspect, which mm-hmm. is just how employees are being treated right. internally. And was there you know, DEI efforts in the social space? And you have the governance. Like, how is the company running itself? Are they actually maintaining their data correctly? Are they putting operations and processes in place to transition succession planning? Anything like that. That's right? just governance, right? Like, mm-hmm. they realized they were just handing checks to people that weren't doing these things. And yeah. I want to say on record that I fully believe that you guys are of not only abiding by the metrics of ESG, but just good people, yeah. right? Like, it's just good people. And, like, you hire just great people. I've played ping pong with several of them, right? I've got a chance to, to, to grab lunch with a couple of them. Yeah. Um, you know, one of them is in a Bible study that I'm in. Mm-hmm. Um, went to church with one of them. Like, it's just good people, right? And that's something that I think you can't coach, yeah. if you will. For better like words, you can't coach that. Like being able to find, like having these intangible skills to be able to identify those people so often. Yeah. I I know that there's leaders and TAs out there, people who are recruiters out there looking for talent. Um, But I think it takes a special kind of discernment to be able to identify really great talent, but even better people. Yeah, I think... You nailed it. And I, I just, I want to shout out the, the office, right? I, I think mm-hmm. for me, I can show people the door and I can let them into, I can let them into the office, but every single day, like I really rely on every single person, both of you have met and, and not met to be pushing that forward. Mm-hmm. I, I can genuinely only do so much. And I think, again, thinking about the onboarding process and the interview process, that's not something that's going to be on a job description. So that has to be something that is communicated to me like, hey, part of your responsibility is going to be 
really pushing forward a culture of inclusivity. We want people who are bringing something to the table as we build out this office's culture. Are you up for that? And if you are agreeing to work at, in this office, you're saying, you're telling me that you're up for the task. So I just giving people that space, I think is everything. So sure, as the head of this office, and I, I can, sure, it's great to be hearing these compliments, but it's really just on the people who are doing this. So I just want to make sure that it's not lost on anybody that I, I owe a lot to the people that every single day are bringing this to the table. So I'm very thankful and I'm very, you know, I'm, I'm very humbled by, by them. And, I'm, and I look forward every day to learn something new from them too. I'm learning from each of the people, whether it's someone that we just hired or someone from September. It's a good thing to just be vulnerable and let go. And So yeah, good. Yeah. The marks of a great leader, everyone, ladies and gentlemen. Finally, could you share some advice for aspiring leaders in the research industry and what qualities or skills should they cultivate to excel in their careers and make a positive impact on their teams? Okay, so probably won't be too far of a departure from some of the answers that I've said, but if I could just, I'll give a too long, didn't read. So advice for a leader. Yeah, yeah. I think be okay with shocking people with trust. Some it, it, at, at its best, you're going to be really surprised that someone is taking a step forward in their career, whether it's an instance or, or something a little bit bigger. And at its worst, it's a really good learning moment for you and that person when shocking with trust doesn't go wrong. So do shocking not be a, yeah, yeah, which is actually a, 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 an important value for us at Third Bridge. Like a good example of that is having me come down and open this office. What a huge shock with trust from my boss and, and from our CEOs. I'm super bought into that. But yeah, my advice would be do not shy away from those opportunities because like I said, at its best, you're getting something great. At its worst, it's a very good learning moment. And I would say, look, take very seriously the opportunities to to learn. Like you as a leader, you do not have all the answers at any given time. And some folks might treat you and ask questions and ask you questions as if you have all the answers. So never be afraid to say, hey. I don't know, but let me go find out. Uh-huh. But you can, there, there is a little bit of humility that you can just exemplify as a leader. But then the last thing is actually returning to the point about just like really making yourself obsolete as a leader. Make sure that you are constantly, whether it's micro, small examples or, or bigger picture things, constantly be reminding your people that you expect them to be independent problem solvers, right? Uh-huh. And that's true, of, that's true of folks in the primary research space. That's true of really any industry. You want people to be thinking about solutions first because it's, you know, you're meant to be creating a solutions-oriented environment. Um, and then the last thing I would say is, um, and, and this is a little bit easier in a smaller setting, is actually what you mentioned, is knowing people's why and understanding people's story, right? I think one of the cool things, and if I could just, is it okay that I tell a quick story? Oh, that, please, that, that, please. Stays, that has stayed with me for, for the last six and a half years. So our managing director at the time who had opened up our New York office, uh-huh. at that point, there was, there was well over 100 people in this office. So it, was, it still had some startup vibes, but largely established. Yeah. And I had probably been working at the company for, I don't know, maybe a month, maybe two months. I, I was very junior and I was just like a, a face in that office. And our managing director who, he had run a couple of, of trainings that I had sat in on. He had walked past my desk and funny enough, your name is Josh. He said, hey, Josh, how's it going? 
And for me, like, I was like, I didn't cry to him. I was like, oh, yeah, no, good, man. We're doing all right. Like, you know, 5.30 on a Thursday. So really just wrapping up. I was like, yeah, no, all, all good. And he went around the corner. And just as quickly as he went around that corner, he immediately popped a U-turn, came back, and he said, I am, I'm so sorry. I, I, your name is Ryan. Like, I know your name is Ryan. Your, yeah. your name is not Josh. Like, I'm really sorry about that. Yeah. And then he walked away. And for him, and look, like he's still at the company, and, and I've since told him this story this maybe, maybe about 40 times. Yeah. And I'm constantly reminding him of that story. But for me, yeah. I'll never forget that. So something needs to come through as a leader where you're very quick to immediately make that connection. Even though you as a leader, you're probably going to forget about what yeah. that means in about 15 seconds. But see it from the other side where as, a, as someone who's trying to get their footing at this company, that small little, little interaction has stayed with me forever. Yes. So all that's to say is you never really know what kind of interaction is going to stick with someone. Yeah. And look, I think about things like retention, right? Mm -hmm. I'm not just like a face in this office. I'm someone that's going to hopefully be the next leader in, in this office. Right? Yeah. And yeah, just make sure you have that kind of connection. And hey, be very ready to make a U-turn when you call someone by the wrong name and, and correct it because it stayed with me forever. Yes. Oh, yeah. that, was, that was a beautiful story. This has been so fun. This has been like one of the, one of the best podcasts that I've been on. Like you are really good people and I look forward to being able to keep the conversation going. Of course. Being man. able to have you on again to talk about different topics. I would love to to continue to just really see you guys grow and expand. It looks like this yeah. is growing time for you. I know you guys are moving into a bigger office soon. So for those who are trying to contact you, where can they find you? So they can oh Josh, sorry, but they can find me on LinkedIn. There we go. I, no, I it's fine. Hey, I'm coming back. I'm coming back. <laughs> And we're going to figure, figure out a way to, to make it more authentic, but now and I'll be back. I yeah. I want to be a pioneer for that. Yeah. That's, that's probably the best, best springboard for me. Ryan Kelly, um, LinkedIn. Ryan Kelly, Third Bridge. There's a lot of Ryan Kellys uh, in the world, but I believe I'm the only one at Third Bridge. So hopefully you can find me there. There we go. I'm a very boring follow on Instagram. So maybe you don't have your followers to follow me on Instagram, but if oh, you man. can. Yeah. Yeah. And all my contact information is on there. So like if anybody reaches out to me, I said something compelling or you want to give me feedback staying in line with the constructive feedback like by all means i'm, I'm all ears feel free to reach out there we go yeah. man i appreciate you again for this electric conversation yeah, thanks so much man this thanks for having me electric theory once again we are here to drive the mission of cognitive diverse individuals to really help thread their ideas and layer them into the world to really empower others. And that is a part of your why as well from what I've grasped. Thank you again. And I uh, look forward to uh, staying in touch. Thanks so much, man. I really appreciate the time. Yes, appreciate sir. You. Appreciate you, brother. It was another good day. We had another good day. And if you line up enough good days, fuck around and have a good life. <laughs>